Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson, the talk show that makes the connections between research, policies, and practitioners that are too often missing from the American education system. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Good day, listeners. Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. I am your host, Jonathan Jefferson. You can learn more about me at my show page on TalkZone.com. Illusions of grandeur, desperation, you name it. Too many parents of high school student athletes and high school student athletes themselves are, are unaware of the requirements and lack of athletic scholarships to compete in college. Let me share with you listeners some statistics that come from the National Federation of State High School Associations and from the NCAA Sports Sponsorship and Participation Rates Report. This survey actually gives a percentage of students who actually participate at the college level. So of those who are currently participating in high school, what percent go on to participate in college? Now, these statistics are a few years old, but the numbers haven't changed much. Let's just look at the major sports. Baseball, of all of the students participating in high school sports, 13.5% of them will go on to participate at the college level. Football, non-BCS, this means not your big-time Division One schools, 5.7% of high school students playing high school football will move on to college and play at the, at, at the college level. That's 5.7%. Now, when you look at the big-time football schools, those top 25 big-time BCS-level schools, only 1.3% of high school students will go on to play at the top level of, of college football, 1.3%. To drive this point home a little more, in all of Long Island, 8 million people on Long Island, Long Island would be one of the top 10 most populated states in the United States if it was a state in and of itself. So 8 million people on Long Island, only two high school football players earned BCS level college football scholarships. Two on all of Long Island. So I, I share these statistics and, and so that I'm not appearing show with this, let me share some statistics for, for the girls sports. Soccer, 6.7% of girls in high school will go on to play soccer in college. 5% of girls outdoor track and field athletes will go on to play in college. 4.5% of softball players in high school will go on to play in college. Now, I share these numbers just to show you that playing at the college level is not necessarily what most athletes aspire to, and even those who aspire to it need to understand that it takes a lot of work. And today I will have two experts on who will be able to give you excellent information to use in assisting your own child or any uh, high school student athlete in setting themselves up to play at whichever le level is appropriate for them on a college uh, playing field. My first guest today is Dan Issa. Dan Issa is the Director of Market Development for CoreCourseGPA.com. He spends much of his time now working for a nonprofit course geared at providing parents and student athletes with valuable tools for success. Dan, welcome to the show. Jonathan, thank you for having me, sir. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on in such short notice. Um, Dan, why don't you share with us 
the changes coming to NCAA eligibility for Division One and Two uh, sports? Well, I'm glad you asked because they're staggering. And the thing I always preach to when I talk around the country is that we live in a reactive society. Most people wait for the problem to surface and then go looking for the solution. And right now the problem is building, and most folks are not aware of it. And what I mean by that is uh, the class of 2016, which is this year's sophomore class of high school athletes, are going to be held to an academic standard for Division One, which has never existed before. And to kind of put these new requirements in perspective, uh, the NCAA did a study on the class of 2010, kind of using them as a guinea pig to see, hey, if this class were held to these new standards, what type of effect would it have? And based upon the new requirements which they initially rolled out, which since then have been tweaked, but initially upon that, that those new rules, it's staggering. 43% of the nation's Division One basketball players, 35% of the nation's Division One football players, 15% of all recruits would have been academically ineligible. Wow. That's a staggering number. Now, again, to emphasize, there have been some tweaks to those new rules, which will lessen those numbers, but at least upon initial release, that is where it stood. And what people don't realize is the importance of the freshman and sophomore year academically. Most people, you know, kind of lollygag academically when it comes to NCAA till their junior, senior year, and it's too late. And one of the huge changes, unprecedented change, which is going to impact this class, uh, within these new rules that their first 10 NCAA core grades get locked in at the end wow. of their junior year. Exactly. And this goes right against which has been our you know paradigm for close to 20 years now, where senior year frequently is catch-up year for athletes to make up for goof-ups in their freshman and sophomore year. Well, that's not going to fly anymore. If they got a D this semester, last semester in their freshman year, if they don't improve that grade before their senior year for those first 10 classes, that class grade is going to get locked in, and that is going to cause a tidal wave of problems. Because as you know, Jonathan, a lot of athletes senior year try to play catch-up, and that's just not going to fly anymore. Absolutely. Or they go to summer school to try to retake those those classes they need to improve on. Exactly. And to that point, the NCAA now has very strict rules in place uh, regarding credit recovery or uh, those type of online classes which are frequently taken over the summer months. And if the, the class that is taken through that credit recovery or distance learning means, if it doesn't meet the new criteria, the NCAA is not going to accept it. Now, the school district might accept it for their requirements for graduation, but the NCAA may say, hey, hold your horses, not for us, sorry. And that, again, will cause some issues. This is certainly going to be a wake-up call. Do you, do you believe there was issues at the college level that made the NCAA tighten its reins? Well, uh, you know, we all hear the same things that we read online and hear in reports, and that, um, you know, not speaking for any particular NCAA institution, but, you know, let's face it, you have the academic side and you have the athletic side. Uh, the presidents of these universities usually represent more the athletic side, and their question always is, are these athletes here to get a degree or to play sports? I and mean, that can be debated. <laughs> and we all know the money which transfers hands now with big-time college sports. So uh, I think a lot of this is through the pressure of the presidents and the academic side to at least hold athletes to a certain academic standard. Um, and that is, I think, the big reason why these new rules have been put into place. The NCAA will tell you that by having these standards, it will better prepare a student to succeed in college. But I know if you speak to many people 
uh, on the high school ledger, they all say, well, hey, we're, we're, we're robbing our kids of opportunities because if they're ineligible, they're not going to get an opportunity to get the type of time and attention that athletes get on the collegiate level to succeed and get a degree. So depending on what side of the fence you're on, I think there's good arguments both ways. It appears that the NCAA is on par with uh, pretty much the federal and state uh, education departments that are rolling out Common Core. It seems like everyone's now understanding that for students to succeed in life, we need to raise our standards. Would you agree? Well, yes and no. I mean, we're talking apples and oranges. Uh, the Common Core is, uh, is uh, you know, not directly involved with NCAA eligibility, and that's where a lot of confusion comes in, where even uh, through Common Core requirements, depending on what classes meet those requirements, a student you know, could have a 2.5 on the report card. And, you know, a lot of kids think that's good enough. But then they go through the NCAA process with their core classes, and not to confuse one with the other because they're different, Mm -hmm. and now they realize they got a 1.7 core, and they're not going to be eligible. And this process, uh, you know, they don't realize this until their senior year because what a lot of people don't understand, the eligibility center is not going to review a kid's transcript until they have finished their junior year of high school. And it's too late. You you get your report in your senior year, and it's like trying to raise your batting average in September. It's just not going to happen. And that's why, you know, our program, the corecoursegpa.com, which is NIAAA endorsed, and the National Football League Players Association is using it to mentor mentor athletes. It allows a student to take ownership of their academics starting in their freshman year, because that's when it counts. You've got eight semesters. That's it. And if you don't get out of the gates in your freshman year, you're setting yourself up for trouble. And that's where corecoursegpa.com allows for students and parents to take ownership of that process as soon as they step foot on the high school campus. And that's critical. And I have to say, thanks to uh, some guidance I received uh, in my areas of responsibility from corecoursegpa, we've actually shifted our focus as, you know, my coaching staff and what have you, to the 7th and 8th grade. And to their parents to let them know that, hey, you got, you must hit the ground running when you walk into that high school. Exactly right. There is no downtime. And, uh, I wish more high school campuses or actually district camp, district departments would begin with the awareness starting in middle school. So when these kids get to the high schools, they already know. I don't have time to be wide-eyed. I don't have time to quote unquote figure this out. You're on the clock and you've only got eight semesters to get it right. And that's where our, you know, a nonprofit program, which Core Course GPA supports, I think is a great building block to help with that education. It's a nonprofit program called Free, as in giving away, RecruitingWebinar.org. Uh, that initiative, FreeRecruitingWebinar.org, is presently partnered with 46 state associations around the nation, combination of high school athletic director, counseling, activity, and co- coaching groups. And I think it's mission critical uh, to get eighth graders to watch a cost-free webinar, again, nonprofit, takes about an hour, to get better educated, at least on baseline knowledge on this topic. So when they get to high school, they know, yeah, I don't have time to, quote-unquote, be a freshman. I've got to get after it. That's good. That's, and that's an excellent resource. Um, so, Dan, tell us, what is the IRL? Well, yes, uh, the IRL, you know, many uh, sports fans will say, I don't know what that is, that, that's the Indy Racing League. Well, <laughs> it is the Indy Racing League, but in our terms for the recruiting, this is a critical acronym. This is a critical component to really have a better idea of where a student athlete finds themselves in the upper lexicon of recruiting. 
Because let's face it, most families and kids now think they're Division One prospects, and that's just not reality. So what we try to preach the, through the webinar, the free recruitingwebinar.org, is what is the IRL? Well, that stands for Institutional Request List. Well, what is that? Well, every Division One and Division Two school now in the nation is required by the Eligibility Center to provide a list of kids for every sport, whether it's water polo, golf, tennis, football, basketball, soccer, baseball, you name it, at least a list of kids, they have a remote interest in recruiting. If a kid's name does not show up on an IRL, quite frankly, they have just as much chance of getting an athletic scholarship as you and I do right now. It's just not going to happen. Wow. Uh, and that's where we encourage families, well, how do I find this out? Is there a magical website to go to? No, there isn't. You need to communicate with the college. You know, if you want to go play at Stony Brook or CW Post or Columbia or, uh, you know, SUNY whatever, or Buffalo, which is a Division One program, you reach out to the recruiting coordinator. You first get them your video, your academic profile, your player profile, have them review it, and then ask, do you plan to put me on your IRL? Hmm. If the answer is no, there's no shot of getting a scholarship. They're not interested. If the answer is yes, then you're in the ballpark. And to kind of put this whole number game in perspective, every year the NCAA Eligibility Center receives upwards of 180 to 200,000 transcripts to be reviewed. Hmm. Only about 80,000 high school athletes are on college's IRLs. That means 100,000 kids a year, quite frankly, are wasting their time, wasting their money, wasting their counselor's time. It's not going to happen. Again, from 180,000 to 80,000, immediately cut off. And about 40 to 45,000 a year, half of the 80 get some form of an athletic scholarship. Okay. Mm. So what kind of student athlete do to get themselves recruited? Well, uh, you know, People do things backwards. They think what I do on the field is the most important thing, and it's not. It's what you do in the classroom. Because the first question that comes out of any recruiter's mouth is, what are the kids' grades like? And where families and athletes very frequently kind of pigeonhole themselves incorrectly, they look at the GPA on the report card. And that, in the form of recruiting, is really useless. Because that GPA in a recruiter's eyes doesn't mean anything. It's the core GPA that they matter the English, the math, the science, the foreign language, uh, the social science classes, the classes that are approved by the NCAA or a form referred to as 48H. And every high school in America has a 48H. Mm -hmm. So if your grades aren't in order, it doesn't matter. You can be the fastest guy in the world. You're not going to get a scholarship. But beyond that, you know, everybody thinks this, this recruiting game is so complicated and there's, you know, a lot of people trying to make money at the parents' expense at it. And I tell you, Chill out, man. It's not rocket science. You know, don't get sucked into the vortex. Uh, you know, people have written books about this, and I kind of chuckle sometimes. I figure I'll write a book also. Here's my book. Paragraph number one. Are your academics in line with NCAA core classes? You check that box, you move on to step two. Have I gotten my video and my profile emailed to a college coach for review? You check that box. Number three, you follow up with that college and you ask, are they interested or not? That's it. That's the recruiting game. Either your grades are in line or they're not. You have athletic ability or you don't. The college is interested in you after reviewing those first two or they're not. Nothing more, okay. nothing less. 
Okay. Dan, this is great information. It's time for us to take a short break, but stay tuned. We'll be back with more right after this. And now, more Educate on TalkZone.com. Here's Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our discussion with our guest, Dan Issa. Uh, Dan, just before we took a break, you mentioned the three basic things that students need to do uh, with regards to recruiting. Number one, are their academics in order? Number two, um, have they put their package together, their video and profile? And number three, have they reached out to a their college of interest? Uh, did I get those three correct? You got it right on the head, man. Okay. So, so Dan, are recruiting services worth the money? You ask me, you ask any college coach, the answer is the same. You ask any one of our 46 partnered state associations, the answer is no. There is nothing a recruiting service can do that you can't do for yourself. And if you ask any college coach what they want is personal contact. They don't want a database spit out. They want to see a student who's put forth a little time and effort to research the school, say hello, how are you, and engage in a conversation. So, no, save your money. Um, go buy a guest certificate. Uh, give it to one of your high school coaches or counselors. The money will be much better spent. Uh, but no, uh, I do not feel my foundation, as none of our 46 partnered states, feel that the recruiting services are worth the money because they can't do anything you can't do for yourself. And it's something as important as getting a college education. You want somebody out of a cubicle in some office somewhere telling you where to go, or do you want to take ownership of that process yourself? And I think that answer is pretty clear. Okay. Now, would you say that the video sharing services are positive? For example, uh, you know, we upload our um, basketball and football games to these video sharing services so that colleges can go directly to the video, or should students still do the personalized video? I recommend the personalized video because the, you're marketing yourself. You're not marketing your team. Uh, but even within that, you know, we live in a digital age now where uh, editing video is much easier uh, than it was when I was being recruited in the 80s. Then Back then, it truly was a lot of work. Uh, but I would recommend if you're trying to market yourself, you've got to show your best stuff. And to that point, what I recommend, as most people in the business will tell you, what you need to do initially is whet a coach's appetite. Send them 10, 15 of your best clips. If they're interested, they're going to want to see game film. They'll then reach out to your coach or to you and say, hey, get me an entire game. I want to do my own evaluation. And that's what people don't realize. That's what college coaches do. They watch film morning, noon, and night. Give them a little appetizer. Open it up with a nice greeting. I'd recommend combing your hair. Shaving your face, if you put some makeup on, put a nice suit and tie or a dress on, market yourself. Show some personality. Get into the video, say, we'll follow up with you soon. And that's a good first step in order to try to get some opportunities to maybe get a portion of your education paid for. That's excellent advice. And, you know, it's also excellent advice in general with regards to preparing themselves for the work world. They need to market themselves. They need to present themselves appropriately. And I think this is good practice for them. Absolutely. So, and that's what, you know, we encourage kids. Look, you're not, you're not in elementary school anymore. You're getting ready to go out in the workplace. 
you're going to college. Your mommy and daddy aren't going to be there in most cases to do your laundry and make sure you're eating right. It's time to take ownership. Everybody's busy. If it's important enough for you, you'll find the time. And if everybody else uses that, well, I'm busy excuse, you're only going to separate yourself. And to that point, when you reach out to a college, and I hear this all the time, first impressions go a long way. Check your email address. Let's try to avoid handles like, you know, playa for life and <laughs> abc.com or, you know, something goofy like that. I mean, I chuckle sometimes when I talk to college coaches. You wouldn't believe the email address this guy sent me. Who the heck are they trying to fool? I'm not interested in that because coaches don't want problems on their campus. They want people of character. And to that point, what do you do outside the field? Do you volunteer at a boys and girls club? Do you sing in a church choir? Have you helped in some community way? What separates you? What shows that college coach that you're not a knucklehead? What shows that college coach that you're going to bring solutions to their campus and not problems? Character is king. And if people can start to differentiate themselves in that manner and showing what they've done outside the lines, it'll only further endear them to the college recruiter. And I have to say, your your point is 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 crucial today because kids put so much of themselves out to, to the public. They need to know that on social media also um, that coaches. If I, if I'm really interested in a kid, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up that kid's name and see if you know if, if he's got some goofy stuff posted that I don't want representing my school or my team. You're exactly you know, so. right. I actually just moderated a recruiting roundtable last month in Philadelphia for the National Soccer Coaching Association of America. And we had a panel, a Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, and NAI, and a junior college coach. We had about 300 coaches attend our conference, our, our breakout session. And one of the questions I asked in that roundtable, how many of you coaches, college coaches, have changed your opinion about a recruit strictly based upon what they have posted or what their friends have posted on their social media pages? And without hesitation, every one of their hands shot up in the air. Social wow. media is getting kids in trouble, and it's not just the kids, it's the parents. Parents get watched also in some of the things that they post, and they need to be very careful. And what I always even do for, do for myself, especially using Facebook, it's not only what you post, but it's what your friends post, because birds of a feather fly together. So Absolutely. if you have a friend using cross-language or insensitive remarks, that reflects upon you as a person. So you'd be very careful what you're exposing yourself to the world because as the Purdue Compliance Department put out in one of their tweets, which I thought was excellent, point spot on, every tweet should be looked viewed upon as an international press conference mm. because it is, and that is exactly right. And never post anything when you're emotional because when you're emotional, you say and do things you later regret. Back away. Put that down. Push the keyboard away for 10 minutes, cool your jets, and then think about what you want to post. Chances are you'll have a different opinion at that time. Absolutely. And in fact, there was a youngster who, it just happens to be one of the, the one my school district was one of the districts that sent the kid to a Division One school last year for football, one of the two on Long Island last year. And he absolutely disdains uh, social media just because he never got interested in it. He was a very physical kid, very active kid, and it actually worked on his behalf because he's, he was a first-team freshman this year um, at his college, 
And he never saw until he visited his high school all of the videos that we had gathered on him and all of the promotions and all of the hype. So he was completely unaware of the positive accolades about him that were out there. And it kept and it kept them grounded. Exactly you know, right. I, you know, he was, you know, more than once he had a top 10, you know, ESPN, you know, play of the game. You know? <laughs> and he had, he had no idea because he absolutely just has no interest in social and media. And that's the thing is, also, if you t- to the kid, the players on the college campuses, the one thing they talk about even is entitlement. And how kids come on their campus and read their press clippings thinking they're good, better than they actually are. And social media has a way to, to drive home some of those false senses of security when you realize you should be humble when you get to high school, uh, college. You should be thankful you have that opportunity. And social media sometimes, you just mentioned, Jonathan, puts these kids, they put themselves on a pedestal, which is just unattainable and just does not endear them to their peers or their coaches, and that is not a win-win for anybody. Absolutely. So so what are the benefits of going to a Division three school or a junior college? Well, I'm glad you asked. I mean, I'm the product of a Division three school. Uh, I grew up in Yonkers, New York. Shout out Archbishop Stepanek High School in White Plains. Uh, and I went to Stony Brook my freshman year out in Long Island, which is now a Division one football program. At the time, they were D3. And the one thing I quickly learned, uh, I had a life. <laughs> you know, I didn't have to go work at 5 in the morning. I didn't have off-season training. I could get a job. I could start to build a resume to, to, to get a, a career going, yet still enjoy the college experience. I started as a freshman. I later transferred to Pace University, which at the time was also a Division three program. Now they're Division two. I started for four years, and I earned my job the first day I set foot on that campus. And no, there's non-scholarship, but you know what? Just because it's Division three, it doesn't mean that these coaches can't get a ton of financial aid for you, like I received. And I was even fortunate enough uh, to pursue an NFL career for five years. I signed with the New York Jets, Philadelphia Eagles, had 11 NFL tryouts, three CFL tryouts, through a Division three program. So I started for four years, got most of my education paid for, and still was able to scratch out a sniff of an NFL career. Not Excellent. bad going D3. And Absolutely I got to go not. on a little bit and have some fun, <laughs> which a lot of my friends at other Division One schools couldn't do because they had to be up at the crack of dawn to go work out. Excellent. Yeah, good point. Um, so what is a 529 plan? 529. Uh, this is what I call, you know, your guaranteed full ride. Uh, a lot of families now are investing a ton of money on club sports. And let's face it, other than high school football, Practically every other sport now is recruited off the high school campus. And there's huge investments. It's not unusual now for families to spend upwards of eight to $10,000 a year on travel ball. And all I say is, why are you doing that? Are you doing it for the experience, or are you doing it because that's how you get a scholarship? And most families, 78%, according to ESPN, the magazine, say they're doing it because that's their best chance of getting a scholarship. Well, great. How about taking some of that 10000 bucks a year and putting it into a 529 plan? What is that? Every state has one. That is a college savings plan. And the earlier you start, the better. A way to put money into a a program which is guaranteed to be there to help pay for college. And I highly encourage families to look into this resource because it could be a surefire way to have money available to at least help pay for a portion of your child's education. Excellent. Excellent information. Excellent advice. We have been speaking with Dan Issa. Director of Market Development for CoreCourseGPA.com. To learn more about CoreCourseGPA.com, go to www.CoreCourseGPA.com. 
Dan is also very involved with freerecruitingwebinar.org, and I encourage everyone to please go to that site as well, freerecruitingwebinar.org. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Jonathan. Continued success. Let me know what I can do to help in the future. I appreciate it and will do. Take care. Stay tuned because our next guest is in the trenches with student athletes every day and has had extraordinary success assisting student athletes with college money and admittance. 